Hey, one more thing before you go. If you knew there was magic in this world, that you just had to find it, what would you do first? What if you found yourself able to do hands-on healing work, distance energy, and act as a liaison between discarnate entities and those of us currently in body? Wouldn't it be amazing if you discovered you could be a doorway home for souls caught in the gray spaces? For those of that have died, but for some reason or another, cannot get to the light on their own, and therefore haunt the living. Stay tuned. I'm your host, Michael Hurst, and in this episode, we're going to have a conversation with someone who fits that mold and uses her gifts to move people forward and entities forward in a unique and a positive way. This is The Thing About Spirits, Past Lives, and Karma. My guest in this episode is Corby Mitlead. She has a talent for channeling souls and higher selves for those who need it, <clears throat> those who need to know the hows and the ways of their life challenges. She's a certified tarot master, a certified professional tarot reader. She's a professional psychic, a medium, a past life specialist, and an ordained minister. She's been on the mystic path for almost 50 years. Searching out new and gentle ways to bring peace and harmony to body, mind, and soul. And today, she's going to share those gifts with us. Welcome to the show, Corbin. It's great to be here. Thank you. You know, I really appreciate what you do in this life. I think that uh, bringing positivity to the world, um, we need more of that, actually. So thank you, first and foremost, for uh, what you bring to the world and what you bring to the other side of the world as well. Yes. Both sides. You know, I uh, I like to start at the beginning and, and kind of get to know you a little bit, if you don't mind, so that uh, we can understand where you've come from, where you have been, and where you are going to. So, where'd you grow up? I grew up in um, Cherry Hill, New Jersey, which is about 10 miles east, right across from Philadelphia. Uh, typical suburbs of the 60s and 70s. So, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Yes. Sorry, if it's Philly, it's Philly. <laughs> Home of the 76ers, the Eagles, and the Philadelphia Phillies, you bet. Oh, and the Flyers, the Broad Street Bullies, got to mention that. And all that, all that good stuff. Well, my family's actually mm -hmm. from Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. So oh, oh, yeah, that's that's the, the, the cross-state rivalry. I get uh, that. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, uh, I'm not from Pittsburgh. I'm not from there, but my dad, mm -hmm. all my ancestors on my father's side, they're from Pittsburgh. So um, I visited there a few times, but uh, <laughs> grew up in Colorado, actually. So mm -hmm. so I'm a good boy, see? <laughs> there you go. So, see, where I live now is just outside of Albany, New York. And Albany is three and a half hours from New York and three and a half hours from Boston. So you will find arguments over Yankees versus Red Sox on any corner of an Albany street 12 months uh, a year. It's a little crazy. That's kind of, that's interesting, actually. Very interesting. So you come from uh, a completely medical family. Can you tell me about your parents and your family? Yes, my father was an internist cardiologist. My mother was an RN. And my brother is a pediatric pulmonology and world famous in cystic fibrosis and asthma research. Oh, that's amazing, actually. What a profound profession. Um, kudos you know, to him for contributing to society in that manner. He's a good guy. He's yeah, a good guy. 
That's pretty cool. Um, did you go to university? I went to Brown University for two and a half years, but I was a theater major uh, with secondary in history and creative writing. But after two and a half years, it just wasn't for me. In the early 1970s, when I went, it was very unstructured. You could do eight courses of your major and then take Swedish and basket weaving pass fail. Now, that's not really an education, especially for someone like me who is very much unstructured herself. So I had no business as a first semester freshman taking a senior honors course in Shakespeare. But they didn't care. So after two and a half years of really floundering, I just left. And I said, I'll find my way in the world somewhere else. This works. What do you want to be when you grow up? Wanted to be an actress, which is why I was a theater major at Brown. And I have done some acting in New York in the late 80s and early 90s. Uh, I have always done voiceovers. But I realized I didn't want to spout other people's words. I wanted to say mine. So being a writer, doing lectures on my own work, that was more fulfilling. Yeah, I think, um, did you, if you don't mind, were you mostly on stage or in uh, like television or film while you were in New York? Oh, I was I was on stage. Uh, that was before my cancer surgeries started. And I had a Dolly Parton figure. And when you were built like that, um, you could get cast as a prostitute, but nobody else would want you on anything because you would take attention away from the main actors. So I couldn't get work. That's why I switched to voiceovers, because a voice can be anything anywhere. Yeah, it's really a shame that typecasting um, comes into play. And well, it comes to play all aspects of it, whether you're in film, television, mm -hmm. or does. on the stage. Unfortunately, it does. Um, I think we talked before. My kids are involved in the entertainment industry, and my daughter's mm -hmm. the typical young blonde, and um, she got kind of stuck in that. Yeah, but she got work. Yeah. But she, she got, got work. work. Yeah, she got work. Got work. Mm -hmm. uh, you've also had a succession of other jobs. I know that you uh, you kind of you have uh, worn many hats. Uh, it's called having a checkered career, trying to find out who the hell I was. Actress, author, inspirational speaker, legal assistant, right hand to a bunch of CEOs, writer for a graphic novel series, very well known called ElfQuest, uh, video producer and executive recruiter for engineering and manufacturing. Just, I've oh. got a lot of talents and I can hit the ground running. But except for working for Warp Graphics and get ElfQuest, it wasn't particularly fulfilling. So... I did the psychic work always on the side until 9-11, which were coming up on the 20th anniversary. And I watched the towers burn and I turned to my husband and I said, I need to do this work full time. People need to know there are other answers out there. He said, I believe in you. Go do it. So for one more year, I worked 70 hours a week as an executive recruiter did the psychic work evenings and weekends once I was sure I could make a living at it, turned my back on corporate, and I have never looked back. So mm -hmm. now it's six days a week, 14 hours a day. I read about a 1,000 people a year. Holy smokes. How old were you when you uh, first realized you were psychic? <clears throat> I read a book when I was nine called The Witch Family by Eleanor Estes. And instead of thinking, ooh, that's scary, or ha, 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 I thought, and your point is, so I knew there was magic in the world and I wanted to go find it. Fast forward to 1973 when I was a senior in high school working at Spencer Gifts. Uh, they had the James Bond 007 tarot deck and I bought it. And that started the whole journey. Started everything. Well, that, I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's interesting. Um, 
when you first found out or figured out that you were psychic, actually psychic, um, was it an incident? Did you did you talk to somebody from the other side? Did you hear or see something? How did, how did that kick you off? Well, I didn't think of it as I'm psychic now, but I loved reading the cards and I was good at it. And because of the time it was and how unschooled I was and how there really weren't any rules then, um, I was this nubile young thing. And a lot of people said, ooh, I can plug into her for lots of power. And so I got involved with, when I say the wrong people, it wasn't that I was on the wrong side and Satanist, but they just didn't do me any good. I had to develop my stuff on my own and I did it by making sure when I read that my ego would stay on the shelf. That means that if I saw a card, I wouldn't wonder, well, should I tell them blah, blah, blah. I would just let it flow. Doing that cleared me out enough so that in 1994, I could do the hands-on healing and talk to dead people with no training. That's when I realized that the psychic pathways were wide open and ready to work. Well, I, I know that you're a medium. I, they were. Mm-hmm. I, I, know, I know that you're also a medium. So can you help us understand mm-hmm. what the difference between a psychic and a medium is, or do they overlap? Um, they overlap, but think of it this way. All mediums are psychic. That means they use abilities that aren't your typical five senses. But not all psychics are mediums. Mediums specifically have the talent of talking to dead people. Now, there are channels that are not mediums. For instance, Pat Rodegast with Emmanuel, Jane Roberts with Seth, Esther Hicks with Abraham. They are channeling information from discarnate beings that weren't necessarily human. They're bringing down information. Another one, Ron Herman channels the Archangel Michael. Mediums specifically contact you with dead Aunt Mabel. Uh, that makes a lot of sense, actually. My wife listens to uh, the the woman that channels Abraham Hicks. Um, mm-hmm. And I thought Abraham That's, Hicks was uh, a Esther person. Hicks. Yeah. So in that particular case, is Abraham Hicks a person or, or are they no, an entity? No, it's Abraham It's like uh, Abraham hyphen Hicks is Abraham the entity hyphen Hicks, Esther and her late husband, Jerry, were the ones bringing the information down. But Abraham is just an entity. He's not a person. That's interesting, actually. That's very interesting. Um, So you were talking about channeling. So uh, help me understand, help us understand, when you channel, do you channel spirits, ghosts, Aunt Mabel, or or just another entity or the combination of both? Um, Again, if it's mediumship, that's Aunt Mabel. Channeling can be angels, spirit guides, entities, um, messages. Okay. Uh, when a medium channels messages and they're not from someone you know, it could be a guide. That's actually channeling, not mediumship per se. But when people pay 10 bucks to sit around in a circle and see if they get a message, they don't care. Just give me the message. And, you know, it's okay. Yeah, that makes sense. No, I mean, because, you know, you watch these old TV programs and you see somebody being taken, quote, I can't quote because of my hands, but, you know, quote, um, you know, as you said earlier, Aunt Mabel shows up and starts talking to somebody saying, hey, you got to find this or that, or where's the, where's this, or where's that? Oh, and, honey, you're talking about Oda Mae Brown in Ghost. That's uh, everyone's yeah. typical thought of what what a medium is. Yeah, no. exactly. No. 
<laughs> when I do mediumship, it's <laughs> it's different. Um, you know, I am in awe of the mediums that can just plug in and rattle. The best medium I ever knew, God rest her, she's gone now. Her name was Allie Sheslick. She was here in Albany, and we all called her Chatty Kathy of the Dead. So she pushed the button and she'd go. And she still does when she shows up. But the way I do my mediumship is a little different, only because that's the way my guides work with me. I get dog tags, for instance. My father, Jerome Richard Dorkin, who died in 2001 at the age of 80. Notice that says nothing, right. but gets me into the energy. And then what I do is it's almost like charades. My hands move and give me gestures. If they move toward my mouth like a cigarette, this person smoked. If they touch my chest and open up, this person had surgery. If the heel of my hand slaps my forehead, it was a fast death, things like that. And very often I will get things that are intensely specific to the person. A woman wanted to speak to her father-in-law who had passed. And all of a sudden I find myself miming shooting with a pool cue. He taught her how to play pool. There was a woman who wanted to speak to her grandfather in Canada. And all of a sudden I found myself saluting. Now, for those who are just listening and not watching, Americans salute with a palm down. British and Canadians salute with a palm out. I got a palm out salute. And I had no idea of knowing that she had just graduated from the Royal Canadian Mounted Police the week before. Wow. That's not, it's a rose, she loves you. Those are absolutes to let me know that we've got their person. And then I open things up, and if the dead person wants to have a conversation, I let him do it. Yeah, that's, I'm, I've had a lot of conversations with some people that do communicate with the other side. So our, our listeners really um, have a better understanding of life and death and that veil that happens to be there. So mm -hmm. can we differentiate between, let's say, ghost in what you do? Sure. Um, when you say ghost or a ghost, which you're a talking about. Well, um, it, 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 how do we define that? Otome. All right. <laughs> not, if you're talking not, Otome Brown. Um, what I do is specifics, absolute specifics. Um, but it's one of the reasons I will not do it. Um, live right. in a gallery because I don't censor what comes out. Um, I have the story that I will tell you the PG version of. There was a woman who came to me in Canastota, New York. She was half of a biracial same gender couple. Her black partner had died and she, the white widow, wanted to speak to her. Now, what did I tell you? Nice Jewish kid from Cherry Hill, New Jersey. That's how I grew up. But when I plugged in, what came out of my mouth was flawless urban ebonics with one particular sentence that you cannot say on the air. And it just flowed out. And I went, oh, oh, my God. But the person in front of me was laughing and nodding because that is how her partner, Isabel, walked into the house after every business trip. Now, two things. Number one, if I had been worried about my ego, oh, I shouldn't say it, not with his face, that's so rude, then... You know, that would have totally changed the message and she might not have gotten anything nearly that specific. And I would have worried about, is this person going to be mad at me? I can't do that. But if I came out with that in an audience of 200 people, 
there are going to be a lot of people in there that aren't going to understand. I'm not being rude and I'm not being inappropriate. This is just direct from the dead person. So I'll do past lives in a gallery. That's easy for me, but I won't do mediumship for me. That's intensely personal and it's only a one-on-one. And that makes a lot of sense. Actually, I think it is personal because when we lose somebody or we're trying to communicate with somebody from the other side, um, that is personal, in my opinion. Uh, I've unfortunately yes. been with a lot of people that have passed on and passed away. And um, without sounding macabre, um, it it was personal and it has stayed that way with me. I still have visions of it. I still have remembrances of it. Even mm-hmm. the strangers that I were there when they passed away, they're still kind of with me. You know what I mean? It's, it's, well, I understand mm-hmm. that. That's always good. You mentioned past lives. Um, let's mm-hmm. talk about past lives. Do we all have past lives? You think we're smart enough to learn it all in one? Get real. <laughs> yes. We've got tons of them, tons and tons. One of the reasons that we don't remember them all, though, is if you're a janitor in Des Moines, Iowa, and you found out that you were a famous explorer in 19th century Britain, you know, you'd keep trying to contact that because it's a lot more interesting than the mop. Okay. (laughs) So we don't remember our past lives or even have a key that we want to remember them unless there's something we can learn from them, which is when I do my soul plane readings, if you come to me with a life challenge, why did I choose to parent handicapped children? Why is it that I chose not to have children? Why um, am I always in relationships that do X, Y, and Z? Then I will go back and I will do research in your Akashic records to see if there are past lives that show the patterning as to why what you're going through is something you can learn from here. That's that's interesting. Do you well obviously you believe in reincarnation then? Oh sure. And and people who say, well, the Bible says we only live once, they're right too, and this is how. The soul comes down time and time and time again. Corby gets one. This particular recipe will never be on earth again, because this is one chapter in the learning book that my soul wrote. But when you finish the chapter and you've had the exam, you don't go back to it. You go on for more information. Do you think we all make Um, a soul? Oh, I'm sorry. We all Go ahead. No. Do we all make what? Like a soul plan? I mean, what's your pre-birth plan? Do we do it um, at each time or do we do it um, like the soul I mean, does? The soul does. The soul yeah, does. This, when you, um, I'm sorry, there's a delay. I know we both, Corby. we both want to keep talking because it's interesting. You talk, I'll answer. <laughs> I'm sorry. The, the, you, uh, what you said incited uh, some other questions and I got all excited about it. And then I think we have a delay. Um, yeah, the, the soul plans, do we do each, like each time that we um, pass on and our soul goes back up somewhere, is that soul plan already written for us that we know we're coming back into another life or do we rewrite that? We don't know Jack, honey, because we just get <laughs> hung up in the closet. The soul, remember, out of time, out of space. Time is a web. There are other lives you could be living right now. But the soul has things it wants to learn that it can only learn in a world of duality like ours. So, for instance, the way I explain it is like when you go to college, you choose a major, biology. And you know that when you graduate, that's what you're going to have. But how you get it 
You could do gut courses or double major plus lab. That's our free will. Right. Okay. So yes, the soul does say this lifetime, I want to learn about unbalanced energy. This time I want to learn about contrast. This time I want to learn about uh, service, you know, and the example I always use for something like that to show why bad and good karma is so not the way it works is Ryan White. Uh, Ryan White, if people remember, was the kid who got AIDS from a blood transfusion in the 80s and early 90s and was treated like a pariah because nobody really knew about it. But the family was friended by Elton John. Ryan died at 18. Elton played at his funeral and was so moved by Ryan's courage and good humor and compassion for others, even in the face of his disease, that Elton went and got clean and sober, got off drink, drugs, all of the bad things that were killing him, has stayed clean and sober for over 30 years and created the Elton John AIDS Foundation, which since then has raised half a billion dollars for AIDS and HIV research and assistance worldwide. Now, That's why Ryan White is a courageous soul who came down with a life of service. And in the pre-birth plan, the soul said, all right, I'm going to make it a short life. It may be tough, but there is so much good that can come out of it. I'm willing to do that and learn from it. See? So the idea of just saying, Brian must have been bad because he died horribly. That's kindergarten thinking. That really is. Well, what do you think? I mean, I, I that makes perfect sense to me, actually, because I, I think it gives a better, a bigger purpose for us when something like that takes place. Um, I have dealt with that, or I've kind of struggled with that myself, because I, I was a good guy. I'm a great, I won't say great husband, but I'm a, I'm a good husband. I'm a good father. Um, I was a great cop, and and then I get this disease, and for the longest time, I, I said, "Why me? Why did I get this?" I did things mm-hmm. positive in my life. Why do I have to wake up every morning? Like this morning, I have a flare. Why am I waking mm-hmm. up this way? Um, my wife says, it's because that's the way you wrote it. <laughs> she said, you, you wrote She's that. Right. Yeah, you wrote that down there, and that's the reason why. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, I'm a dumbass. <laughs> because, because, you know, it doesn't always feel good. But when when I have an opportunity to share with other individuals the stuff that mm-hmm. I have experienced and tell them, I'm supposed to be in a wheelchair for the rest of my life, but I'm not. It's in the garage. Mm-hmm. I've been through seven operations. I've been through a hell of a lot of rehab, uh, struggle, uh, humility, um, depression, anger, you name it. Mm-hmm. But um, I overcame it, and I, and I move forward. It struggles every day. I question mm-hmm. it. But at the same time, I think I'm in continuing to give back, I think, in regard to that, from that perspective, I was unable to keep going as a cop, but I'm still a good father. I'm still a good husband. I'm still a good person, mm-hmm. and I'm still able to share some stuff. So I guess I can look at that as not bad karma. No, and you don't know what you're learning. Um, I don't even know what the disease is. Let's use mine since I do know that. I've done cancer three times, specifically breast cancer. Um, one of the reasons that I figured out that was part of my pre-birth plan is because my understanding is I'm 80, 20, 80 of my lives, 80% are male, 20 are female. And I have to learn it's okay to be in a female body. A female body is not an automatic ticket to whatever any guy wants. 
which may be the way I acted when I was male. I don't know, you know, all my male lives. I know one, possibly mm-hmm. two. Um, so I've been a good person, but I've done cancer three times. The last time it was double mastectomy, ovaries out, permanent side effects. And, you know, my 60s are not what I was thinking they were going to be. But the thing is, my soul chose to learn certain things. It's not whether I was bad or good at all. It has right. nothing to do with that. It's how the story is written. Now, had I been more respectful of the woman's body I was given, had I learned boundaries early, had I felt safer in my sexuality instead of it meant I had no boundaries, could never say no, I might not have gotten the cancer. I wouldn't have needed it. But the third time was a second primary. And the message from my guides was, look, you can't get past the problems. You keep bumping up against into them. You're, You're not getting it. And we need you down there to do a lot more work. So we're going to remove the problem. It was a second primary, brought the danger segment back to zero, but they're gone. My figure is now what I cheerfully refer to as a fat fire plug. It ain't what I used to be, but I'm still me. I'm learning who I am here as well as here. And so I don't see that as positive or negative. It just is. It's part of the learning. This is, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, do you think that, um, you know, deja vu comes about, that we have had mm-hmm. previous relationships with other individuals that we had come about on Earth here uh, again? Yes, um, absolutely. One of my earliest experiences with my own past life stuff. Um, back in the 80s, there was a rock and roll band in Philly. Don't need to go into who. But I'm not a groupie, but I had this mad, passionate crush on lead singer. Um, Through a lot of past life work, I figured out it was somewhere in the 18th century in Scotland. Nobleman, I was the local round heels. Um, And there was a story there, which I know, but isn't germane to this. But I figured out who I was and who the other players were, but I couldn't figure out this person. All of a sudden, over linguine and clam sauce on a mainline seafood restaurant, I heard the phrase Marcus Baron Gordon Huntley. And I'm thinking, what's with the double titles? Now, my major was 16th century English history. I know nothing about 18th century Scotland. But when you hear titles, what do you do? You go to Debrett's Peerage, which is the God for a second Bible of everybody <laughs> snooty in the English areas. So I looked it up. And interestingly, there was in... 1752 was born Alexander, 12th Marcuson of Huntley. And in 1783 or four, he was named Baron Gordon of Huntley, Marcus Baron Gordon Huntley. And the storyline, the the history, and I knew from nothing, but the storyline of how his life went is exactly what I had already figured out doing my own past life stuff with me. So that was obviously a a contact. And the key was, he wasn't mine then, and he wasn't going to be mine now. Once I found out what that past life thing was and interpreted it correctly, interestingly, the mad passion I'd had for this particular lead singer for four years disappeared overnight. I got the lesson. It could go away. Okay, darn. That's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah, I thought so. 
Yeah. It, should you feel that we, and I, you may have already covered this with the uh, conversation, but do you feel that we get glimpses mm-hmm. of our past lives? I'm sure. Does it I'm help sure. us? Um, it depends. It depends. People come to me with questions and I can help them with it. That's why I am a past life specialist, but I do retrieval, not regression. I don't hypnotize you to go up and look. You give me a question. I go get the information and bring it down. Uh, Two stories. There was a woman who said, I cannot get my son to stop depending on me. He's in his 20s and he won't live more than a mile from me and blah, blah, blah. Said, okay. What I'm seeing is Utah Beach. I guess it's D-Day. You were his commanding officer and he got pretty badly wounded in the leg. You went down, you dragged him behind a dune. You took some shots too, but you both lived. You saved his life. And when I opened my eyes, she was white. And she said, can you see what my rank was? I said, yes, you were a sergeant. She goes, he's been calling me Sarge since he was three and we never knew why. Holy moly. That's crazy. The other one was a woman who was fascinated by the Underground Railroad, had no reason to be, just that was her thing. And so I said, all right, um, I'm seeing it's in a whitewashed room, very low ceiling. And there are two gentlemen, you know, not overly tall, but they're stooped over while they're standing in it. You are kneeling by this rickety little single iron bed. Your clothing, it looks like it's about 1862 or three. It's gray. It's got black soutache on it. And you're holding the hand of a very wrinkled, wizened black woman. And you're all very, very sad because she came this close to getting into Boston, which was her destination for the Underground Railroad. But she was dying and she couldn't make it. And again, I opened my eyes and the woman says, I've had that dream for 20 years, repeatedly. And I did not know what that was. There you go. Well, that's, you know, it's... It's interesting when we really open our eyes and our hearts and our souls to what the possibility of what exists out there and how it all plays into how our lives are are built. Yes. Within, within today, within the past, and within the future. Mm-hmm. Very much. Yeah. yeah. Do you think that um, with regard to that, how does karma play into it? Because I know you have a different perspective on karma to a point. We just talked mm-hmm. a little bit about it, but can we go more de- in depth with karma? Because sometimes, well, even myself, without mm-hmm. getting political, I, I think, okay, in the current situation, karma is going to come back and get him. Karma is going to come back and get this person. Um, but maybe I'm thinking of it wrong. Okay. Now, this is just my personal understanding. But the soul that was Hitler was also Genghis Khan, was also Judas. There is one very courageous soul that when mankind needs big lessons, comes down and is that it's like the scapegoat. Uh, Nomadic tribes, Old Testament, uh, they used to put all of the quote unquote sins of the tribe on a goat, send it out to die in the desert, poor goat. That's where scapegoat comes from. Um, But this soul agreed to come down and be vilified to give us lessons. Now, it doesn't mean we'll learn them forever. Right. You know, but you've got Judas, you've got Hitler, you've got Genghis. Um, Whether 
the newest boogeyman or boogeymen are part of that soul. I don't know. But I know that my understanding is the world has got to change or die. It's that simple. And so we may be like the tower card in tarot. Now, you know, I always tell people when they sit down, especially if they haven't had ratings, I'd say there are three cards that weird out rookies, death, the devil, and the tower. If they come up, I'll tell you what it means because it ain't that. For instance, the death card does not mean you're going to be hit by a bus on Tuesday. It's death of an old way of life, death of what you've outgrown, death of what was never you in the first place. The devil card is being bedeviled by something, someone, or some situation, not necessarily, you know, Lucifer Morningstar. But the tower card, if you look, it's got a tower collapsing, the tower is hit by lightning, it's burning and people are falling off it. And people see that card and think, oh my God, my whole life is going to go to hell. It's like, no, I want you to think of it as an imploding sports stadium card. Red Sox want to build a new stadium. They're going to have to blow up Fenway and clear the ground to build it. So what's happening now, is it fun? No. Is it scary? A lot of it. But it is, I think, what is needed to be done, right. not as in rapture, et cetera, et cetera, but mankind needs to re-engineer how he lives with his fellow man. Um, we can no longer be who we were not knowing about climate change. The world is going to be affected by climate change, and we can either be cockroaches that Mother Nature has to kill, or we can learn to adapt. But it's our choice. That's why, you know, a lot of kids say, okay, boomer, and they're angry. But I make it a point to be an elder. Now, what's an elder? An elder is someone who knows that their time on the stage is ending. And they move away so that others can take the spotlight. But Whatever they have learned that is of use to the generations coming after them, home truths, galaxy truths, <clears throat> they pass that on to anyone who asks respectfully, but they also choose apprentices. Um, with me, I swore I would not teach. I just, I'm not a teacher type that sits with lessons, plans, and blah, blah, blah. Until... Um, there's a young girl, a teenager around her. Her name is Ula. I'm very close friends with her family. So she's like my niece by affection. Her reading skills are already at 14 incandescent. So I'm her elder and she's my apprentice. And by the time she's 21 or 22, she will be better than I am. And I know it. Wow. And I don't mind and I don't feel threatened. If I can pass that on to her, I'm 66. I'm not going to be alive for another 40 years. Whatever I can give her, I give her gladly and freely. That's the difference between an elder and a boomer. Boomers it's try a, to stay young. Elders know their age. It's an interesting perspective. Mm -hmm. I, I believe it's an mm -hmm. interesting perspective. I think that uh, that's a lesson I think I can take from you, if that's okay. Um, Whatever. Take it. Dump what doesn't work. What do you feel um, about the universe? Do you think that uh, the universe is larger than what we see and what we feel? 
Um, that's kind of like walking that ant we talked about into the calculus class and sitting it down and saying, all right, now chapter one, the ant's going, help me. <laughs> that's not, no. Um, there's no way in our little pea brains we can ever have a concept of what it really is. You know, universes, dimensions. When we're out of the body, we might have a better understanding of it, which is why when we get so pissed that the woman in front of us had more than 20 things in the 20 or less aisle at Price Chopper, get a clue, my darlings, really. In the great scheme of things, it will not make a difference. And not getting angry about that lowers your blood pressure. This is a good thing. I, I'm not saying <laughs> everything is love and light, but I'm saying pick your battles. Pick well, exactly. Your battles. Exactly. You know, I, I think that um, I, I take a little bit of everything, a little bit of Buddhism, a little bit of Zen, a little bit of Native American. I believe in Mother Nature. I believe in the universe. I believe that uh, we all we all live together and that we all need to work together to move forward in a very positive mm -hmm. way. We have choices. Just like you said earlier, we have a choice to whether or not we're cognitive of climate change. We have a choice as to whether or not we want to get along with someone else. We have a choice if we want to be angry or depressed. We have a choice because even if you suffer depression, okay, you have a choice to say, I don't want to do this anymore and find a way to not be depressed and to be happy. You know, you can find a way to get out of an addiction. You know, there are so many things that we have choices for. So, so I agree with that. I think the universe works together within all that. Yeah. Do you believe when you're part of a group that says we're the chosen people, and frankly, any heavy-duty religion will do that. Uh, I, you know, I'm talking about anything that is patriarchal. Um, you cut yourself off from everybody else. You make automatic enemies. Buddhism. It's not a religion. It's a philosophy. It's very philosophy. Different. Exactly. Um, and when you see yourself as connected with everybody else, it's a little harder to see somebody else as your enemy. Also, that's scarcity thinking, which is what got us in trouble with climate change in the first place. I need all of this yeah. fossil fuel, so I'm going to take it no matter what it does to somebody else. Instead of let's find a way for all of us to have light and heat. Oh, exactly. Exactly. I agree with that 100 um, percent. Speaking of religion, do you think that there's a heaven and a hell? Nope. Um, hell is, frankly, what happens when you go and you do your life review. I mean, I love defending your life. Albert Brooks, Meryl Streep. One of my favorite movie. movies. Favorite movies yeah, of all time. Because, and all women love the fact that she orders pie and she gets 24 and she can eat all of them and not gain weight. We just do. Um, or, or you get eat. I, I got eat. I was lunch. <laughs> my favorite yes, line in there. Yes. What'd you do? I saved my kids. I was lunch. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um. So, hell is when you do your life review, and you see all the things you did that didn't move you forward, that were cruel, that were petty, that hurt you, self harm. You feel that anguish and that pain. And if you did it to someone else, you feel it as if it was done to you. That's hell. You realize all the places you botched it, all the things that you missed because you were busy being dumb. But then it's done. 
God doesn't do grishas. And for people who don't know what grishas are, that's a Yiddish word. It means you stick in the knife and you twist it a little and make sure it's in good. Um, once you're past that, then you're dropping the personality. You hang it up like a coat in the closet. And the way I use that to explain to people is, let's take the actor Matt Smith. Okay, Matt was the 11th doctor on Doctor Who. Yes, he's my doctor. And he was goofy and and gangly and just out there your your crazy best friend but when he was done playing the doctor he was prince philip in the crown who was a totally different personality 100% consider the doctor and prince philip as incarnations matt smith the being that created both of them and brought them alive that's the soul that's why you know, this coat, this Corby coat gets hung up in the closet. What the soul will retain are all the good things about me. Right. What gets put away are the problems. For instance, when I work with my dad now, he still comes down to do medical consults with me. What do I get? I get his incisive intelligence about things medical. I get his warmth, his compassion, his wonderfully terrible sense of humor. I don't get his anxiety. I don't get his depression. Those were things that he had down here that were perhaps learning things, but he doesn't need them up there out of the body. Right. So you get the good stuff. You get the good stuff. Which is the positive thing. Do you think that understanding Maybe. all of this gives us a better understanding of life and death? Maybe. Maybe it's according to the person. I mean, look, as crazy and difficult as my life has been, I love being alive. And even though my soul knows I've been here lots and lots of times before, it may be very hard for me to die because I know that Corby's gone and I have loved being Corby. Yeah, that's the one thing that I get. On the other hand, you know, if, if you have a disease, uh, my dear friend Mary just died this weekend. She had lymphoma and there was no getting away from that. Right. So she got everything, everything in her life completely settled and buttoned up before she went. And she stayed longer than I think was comfortable. Um, but once she knew everything was done, one night she lay down and she let go and she was found dead in her bed the next morning, peaceful, simple. Everything so. squared away. Yeah, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's one thing that um, I, when I look back on my past and the history within my family, I'm especially on the male side of it, I'm getting to a point to have been the oldest one living on the male side or at least three great grandfathers, you know, mm -hmm. perspective. And you kind of question that. You kind of go, well, I don't want it. I've got more to do. You know what I mean? I've, I, I, I'm not ready to go anywhere. This disease sometimes makes me rethink that. But it's a point that I take a, a proactive approach to making sure that I extend my time here, which is a, you know, a good thing. Um, You've written three books. Can we talk about yeah. those? Sure. All right. Let me see. Pull them off the shelf. The first one I wrote was a self-help book that's based on the things that my clients ask me about most. It's called Clean Out Your Life Closet, and it covers clarity, adaptability, simplicity, and making friends with stress. But I don't say, do everything and I tell you, and it all gets better because, you know, I haven't lived your life. I don't know what your limitations and your boundaries are. So in that book, 
uh, each chapter, I tell you some of the dumb things I did. Maybe I'll tell you a client story and I'll suggest things for you to think about. But at the end of each chapter, there are what I call the adventure pages where you answer questions based on your life. You can inform it from what you just read, but the answers are yours. You can't look them up in the book. The second one that I wrote was specifically because I did see shysters, the Madam Who Has and the Swami Swaland, as I talk about, that people who don't know how to look for a psychic or use the information, they can get in a lot of trouble. So that one is the Psychic Yellow Brick Road, How to Find the Real Wizards and Avoid the Flying Monkeys. Oh, there are some books out there like this, but they generally all say, and you should not go to anybody but me. I don't care if you never come to me. If this book helps you learn how to choose a good intuitive counselor, ask the right questions and stay safe, great, all boats rise. And the third one that I wrote was specifically because for 18 years, I was on the road about 45 weekends a year, 45, 50,000 miles on the car. My nickname was the Travel Channel. But summer of 19, back injury. I'm healed from it now, but the doctors said, sorry, kid, you're toast. You cannot spend 10 hours driving in the car and you cannot load in and load out. Now, that's an example of the universe taking care of me, even if I didn't know it. Because in four months, I had from November 19 to March 2020, I'd moved my entire business online. What happened in March 2020? The advent of the year of Murder Hornet Bingo and Hold My Beer. Everyone that I knew that only did the circuit, their business tanked. Mine was as good or better than it had been for years. So I'm not going back on the road. I'll share the information. And that's, you've got the magic who needs a genie. And that is specifically for people who do the holistic route, whether it's vendors or healers or readers, so that they will learn how to straddle the twin mountains of business acumen and WikiWoo. Those are the three. Those are really unique names too. Very intriguing, very catchy. And uh, I've read a couple of them or partially into them. And I would rather recommend mm -hmm. them. And um, I think that uh, I think you have always wanted. Well, you said you've written all of your life anyway. So. Oh, yeah. Words are my drug of choice is how I put it. That's a good way of putting that. I like that. That's a really good way of putting that. Um, what inspires you? Depends on what. Um, what inspires me to help other people is probably my soul trying to bust out of the personality. Um, I make a point of living the examined life, which is this is the thing that happened to me. How do I work with it? What have I learned from it? How do I teach with it next? For instance, I said that I've done cancer three times, but I don't talk about that. That's not part of my identity. The way a lot of women say, yes, I'm a cancer person and I do the Susan G. Comey and blah, blah, blah. No, that's like always telling someone I wore a blue dress in third grade and it was my favorite dress. You're past it. You're past it. What else are you doing with your life? And so if I can get people to live the examined life and embrace all of their life and keep looking forward, that's pretty good. That's a positive way of doing I mean, that. I I'm a teacher by nature, even if I don't want students and class rosters and marking your papers. Yeah, but you can be a teacher without having a classroom. It's easy to mm -hmm. do that. It's, it's, uh, it's easier 
in my opinion, is easier to do that because you don't have to follow the structure. You can teach as it comes and teach when it's needed mm -hmm. and teach what is needed without having to follow a book. Just like I left Brown because I knew what I needed was not in that structure. That's how I teach. Exactly. Whatever I've got in my life that you can use, let's play with it. Well, let's talk about how to find you and what you teach and what you provide to people, please. Can you tell me about oh, well, where to get you, your books? Oh, yeah. You can't, you can't avoid me, for one thing. You can always find me at CorbyMitlide.com. That's my website. You can find my books all in paperback or Kindle. Clean Out Your Life Closet is even an audio book. That's all on Amazon. You want to find me on Facebook? Look at Fire Through Spirit. You want to find me on Pinterest, Instagram, YouTube, or Twitter? That's Corby Mitlide. Outstanding. And I'll make sure that each one of those things are in the show notes as well for the individuals Thank that you. are listening on Apple and Spotify and all the rest of the regular platforms. And you can take a screenshot of it here on uh, on this platform as well. So, Corby Mitlide, this is one more thing before you go. Do you have any words of yes. wisdom that you'd like to share before you go? Yes. My own sentence of passion is cross the bridge from fear to fearlessness and fly. When you're at point A and you want to get to point B, do it. If you have wings on your shoulders, you don't need a flight plan and you don't need permission. Get. Move. The only one at the end of your life who's going to know what you did and did not do and whether it was best for you is you. So don't be afraid of reaching out and grabbing your life and running with it. Profound. Thank you very much. Corby, I really appreciate you spending the time with me today. And uh, I, I, uh, your advice, your messages, your what you do for the world is an amazing uh, number of gifts that you provide. And uh, I really appreciate the fact that you are here and that you are still here in sharing those gifts. Thank you very much for taking the time with me today. It was a real pleasure. Thank you for asking. Thanks for listening to this episode of One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our website at beforeyougopodcast.com. That's beforeyougopodcast.com. Tell your story, share your expertise, contribute to the blog, and subscribe to the newsletter. You can find us as well as subscribe to the program and rate us on your favorite podcast listening platform. And one more thing before you go. Have a nice day, have a nice week, and thanks for listening. One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life podcast, is a creation of One More Thing Productions, established 2010. All